Amen. Well, it sure is good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be here. I'm thankful for the invitation to come preach. Um, anytime you get to stand and preach the gospel, it's a privilege. Uh, it's something that we don't deserve, but it's something that uh, we ought not to take lightly what, what God has allowed us to do. So I'm thankful um, for the time to be here this morning with you. If you have your Bibles, would you stand with me and turn to the book of John and chapter number two for the reading of God's word. And uh, I won't preach to you something this morning that you've never heard before. Um, if you've been in church any length of time, I'm sure that you've heard uh, pretty much everything that I'm going to preach about. But I believe there's some times in our lives where we just need that general reminder from the Lord um, on some things that we go through and some things that God has told us before. Uh, so I just want to try to be obedient to the, to the will of the Lord this morning. And been praying uh, for the service this week and thankful for what God has done in this place this morning, what he's going to continue to do, and we'll just try to mind him this morning. John chapter number 2, and begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto them, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning. God, I'm thankful. Lord, we're grateful for this time and privilege we have to be in your house. God, I thank you, Lord, for each one that's come by this way this morning. God, that those might just be listening, but those who are here in the building, God, we thank you, Lord, for them and their obedience to be in your house. God, I thank you for the songs of Zion that have been sung this morning. God, we thank you for uh, that you are alive this morning, that we serve a God that's alive and well, that we're not worshiping a dead God or a, dot, or a God that's in the grave, but we serve a risen Savior this morning. God, we're thankful for that. I ask you to help me for a few minutes to preach under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. God, that you'd hide me behind the cross and let me preach God, the message that you laid upon my heart, God, that you'd empty me of self and sin, Lord, that I would be a clean vessel for you, God, that you would just help us to preach what you've laid upon our hearts. Let our hearts be open and receptive to your word, that you might change us, that we may leave differently than we came this morning. God, we're going to be careful to praise you. God, we're going to give you all thanks, praise, and glory for everything that's said and done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Uh, we see here in John chapter number 2, uh, in verse 1, the Bible says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. So you have to understand the, the Jewish culture. Um, a wedding back then would not just last one day like typical weddings here do. We know a wedding here normally lasts one day. It could last up to a week in the Jewish culture. So... Uh, it was very important that they had enough food and they had enough wine to last for the entire week for however long the wedding was supposed to last. 
and it would be a pretty big embarrassment if the bride, if the groom's family was the host of the wedding, they would be the ones to supply the food and supply the wine and make sure everybody was taken care of. So they run into a problem when Jesus gets to the wedding. They ask for wine. They find out that they've ran out of wine. So it could be a very big embarrassment to that family for them to run out. It was a big embarrassment to them. And Jesus finds out they have no wine. And then the mother of Jesus was there in verse 4. She tells him they have no wine. And Jesus responds to her in verse 4, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. He's talking about his hour that he's going to sacrifice his body on the cross and pay for my sin debt and for yours. He said, it's not my time to pay sacrifice. It's not my time to offer my body. What am I supposed to do about this situation? In verse 5, it says, His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was. Bible says he does not. He, brought, he thought that they had ran out of wine. He said, We've run out of wine. We've run into this problem. All we have left is water. So they go and they bring this to the servant and they bring this to the ruler of the feast and they bring him this wine and they, and they bring it there in verse 10 and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth saith forth good wine and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But the Bible says the end of verse 10, But thou hast kept the good wine until now. He said that we had good wine at the beginning of the wedding. We had enough and uh, everything was good. We ran out somewhere in the middle and we didn't know how we were going to get wine to last through the end of the wedding. But It says that you have kept the good wine until now. Why did he save the best wine until the end? I want to preach on this thought this morning, if the Lord would help me, that the best is yet to come. That Jesus saved the best wine until the end. And I want to preach on that thought this morning, the best is still yet to come for the child of God. We say, well, where did you see that the best came in the end of all these situations? I want to take you to a couple different places in the Bible this morning where God saved the best for last and where God had provided a way in the end to make things right. We see in Genesis chapter number 1, in creation this morning, the best came in the end. Well, you say, how do you know that? In Genesis chapter, in Genesis chapter number 1, in verse number 1, the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. We know everything that God created, God spoke it into existence, and it was made. When he said, let there be light, There was light. When he said, let me separate the heavens from the earth, and he made the firmament, he spoke it, and it was there. He said, let there be land, let there be water, and let there be animals. And he said, every day of creation, day one through five, he said that it was good. At the end of the day, he said, this is a good thing. But we come down to verse 6, the last day of creation in verse 26 of chapter 1. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was very good. When God created the land, he created the waters. He said, that is great and that is good. But when God created man on the last day of creation, God didn't say that man was just good. He said, I'm going to create man and man is going to be very good. Because God knew that man was the only thing that he would be able to have a relationship with. When God created the land, he wasn't going to be able to have a relationship with land. 
He wasn't going to be able to have a relationship with animals or with anything else. The only thing that God made that he could have a, a relationship with was man. So he said, I'm going to save the best for last. I'm going to create man. And he didn't just create man. He said, I'm going to create man in our image. We're created in the image of God this morning. When we were born, we were born in God's image that we would be able to be like him. So in verse 27, he said, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. When God created Adam, he took Adam and formed him out of the dust of the earth. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. God created man and he said that it was very good. In creation this morning, God saved the best for last. The best came in the end. Number two this morning, in distress, best came in the end. We see where the Israelites had been in Egypt and they had been in bondage for years and years and God had uh, told Moses that he was going to deliver God's children out of bondage and he went to Pharaoh nine times and Pharaoh said no to let God's people go and we find out that on the tenth plague where the death angel came over Egypt that night and smote all the firstborn that were not behind the door where the blood had been applied and after that plague Pharaoh's heart was, it was broken down and he said fine let God's people go and they began to go out of Egypt and they went out of bondage and God delivered them out of that. He delivered them over the sea. But then we find out after God had given the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, he comes down and finds out the children of Israel had forgotten God. They had forsaken God. They created a golden image and began to forsake and go against God. But they failed God time and time again in creation. God had to start over and wipe this world off the face of existence because the people in Noah's day did not obey God. They did not serve God. So God time and time again had to start over with man because man was sinful. And when from the time that Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, sin has been rampant on the face of this earth and we find out that man is not good enough to save our sins but I find out that in John chapter number 19 there was a lamb uh, I mean in John chapter number 1 John the Baptist is preaching and teaching and baptizing in the name of Father, Son and Holy Ghost and John the Baptist sees one who walks over the hilltop and he says behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world he was proclaiming that this is the chosen Messiah this is the God of heaven this is the same God that's going to deliver God's people no matter how many times they messed up no matter how many times they made a mistake he is the one that is going to deliver God's children and bring salvation to this lost and dying world so we find out when man could not do enough right to get their ways to heaven I can't do enough good works I can't give enough tithes to the church I can't, I can't baptize myself enough I can't give to this organization enough to work my way to heaven the only thing that's going to get me through is through the shed blood of Calvary this morning that blood that was shed 2,000 years ago when God looked throughout heaven he saw that man could not save himself he looked through heaven he looked at Michael he looked at Gabriel he looked at the archangels he found out they weren't good enough so every time that God looked somewhere he couldn't find somebody to save this lost and dying world so Jesus himself went to his father and said father would you send me let me pay the sin debt for all humanity that I might die on the cross and I might shed my blood that they may be able to have a relationship with God the father in an eternity with heaven with God and we find out that when nothing else worked God saved the best for last. He said, I'm going to send the precious darling son of heaven to shed his blood on the cross and he's going to die and he's going to pay my sin debt and for yours. And he shed his blood on the cross and he died. It says that he gave up the ghost. He laid down his own life for the sheep on the cross. In John chapter number 19, in verse number 30, it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. At any time from the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, 
He could have called a legion of angels. He could have called 10,000 angels to stop the mock trial. He could have called a legion of angels to stop the persecution that he went through, the scourging that Jesus went through, the, when he plucked his beard out, when they uh, took him, they blindfolded him, and they punched him in the face many, many times and said, if you're Jesus Christ, if you're God, tell us who hit you. Everything that Jesus went through, he was hung between heaven and earth, and he bridged the gap that through his sacrifice that we may be able to be saved this morning. And he hung there, and he hung there naked. We see a lot of pictures that are being portrayed that he had that cloth, but that's not how it was. He was hung there embarrassed and ashamed, and God, his own father, even had to turn his back on his son because God could not look upon sin. He had to to look away because he couldn't look upon sin. He hung for three hours in total darkness upon the face of the earth that through his sacrifice and through his offering that we may be able to have salvation and have it full and free. And this morning in my distress God sent his son Jesus to pay for my sin debt that when nothing else worked he said I'm going to send Jesus. Number three this morning in sacrifice the best came in the end. We see where Jesus lays his life down. He said it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So we find out where Jesus is dead. So they take his body off the cross and they, uh, and Nicodemus, he goes and asks for the body of Jesus and he takes the body and he wraps it in grave clothes and they put it in a borrowed tomb and they roll the stone over the grave and they want to make sure that he's secure that the disciples don't take the body in the middle of the night and they put Roman soldiers on both sides of the tomb to guard it and make sure that Nothing gets disturbed because he said in his trial that he would lay his life down. He would rebuild the temple in three days. Talking about his physical body, he would lay it down and he would build it back up in three days. But we find out that they've laid him there. And we find out in, verse number, in chapter number 20, in verse 1 of John, it says, The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter went therefore, Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter, and came first to the sepulchre. And he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. I'll come back to that phrase here in just a minute. But we find out with it, the disciples go the first day of the week. Friday passes, Saturday passes, Sunday morning. They go to the grave and they want to prepare the body to take care of it for its burial. So they find out that the stone has been rolled down the street somewhere. The Roman soldiers have been gone. They've been dispersed. They don't know where they are. But they find out that the body of Jesus is not in there. They thought that the body had been stolen in the middle of the night. They thought that somebody had took the body of Jesus. They thought that his sacrifice was in vain. They said, sure, he said he was going to raise his body. But he's, he's not here. He's somewhere else. Somebody's took his body. It may not be able to be true. And then in verse number 13, And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? They saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know where not they have laid him. Talking about Mary here. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew it was and knew not that it was Jesus. She didn't know. She thought that this was the gardener. She thought this was the gardener taking care of that uh, garden there. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. It says, If you're the gardener, if you've taken away my Lord, tell me where you've laid him down so I can go take his body and I can have rightful ownership of it and do, what, what, do with it what needs to be done. And Jesus didn't say a fancy prayer. 
Jesus didn't say a big theological sermon at that day at the graveside, but he just called her by name. He just said Mary. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to prophesy anything else for her to believe that it was Jesus. She thought he was the gardener just by looking. But when she heard the master's voice, when he called her by name, he said, Mary, and she knew exactly who it was. She turned It says, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. In, in Jesus' sacrifice, after it all looked like it was over and done with, the devil had partied it up. He had had himself a time for three days. But on that third and glorious morning 2,000 years ago, I'm glad the darling son of heaven rose by his own power out of the grave. And he is sitting right at the hand of the throne of God today. Like we said earlier, we have an intercessor with the Father. We have an advocate that when we mess up, when we make a mistake, we have an advocate with the Father that says they're still bought by the blood. They're still under the blood. They're still one of my children. I still love them. I still care for them. And they've been bought with the price because in my sacrifice, the best came in the end because I paid the supreme sacrifice for their sins they said that it might have been too late but Jesus just said Mary when she thought the body had been stolen taken somewhere else he just called her by name again she had heard that voice many many times but she needed to hear it again she needed to hear that one more time I know how it is in life. Sometimes we need to hear God speak to us. We've heard God speak to us throughout the years. From the time you got saved, that Holy Ghost of God came by your way, knocked on your heartstrings and told you you was lost and dying sinner on your way to hell without God. You knew what God's voice was. You knew that voice that spoke to you on the inside that nobody else could hear. But along life's journey, we need God to speak to us again. We still live in this sinful flesh. We're not perfect. We're not We're not uh, righteous. We're not going to be there till we get to heaven. So we still need that constant reminder but we don't need a fancy sermon we don't need a big uh, theological prayer we just need God to speak to us when nobody else can hear we need God to come into our hearts and come into our minds and say God speak to me and speak to me personally because I believe what the answer is to uh, to the world's problems that's going on today it's not going to be a national wide revival I believe God can do that. And I believe God is able to do that. But I have no business expecting God to send a revival to this country if he has not sent revival to me personally. I need God to speak to me before I can expect God to speak to my church, before I can expect God to speak to my state and to speak to my country. I have no business pointing my finger at anybody else if I have not experienced revival on a personal level with God. But I've got to come to the place where I need God to speak to me again. It's not going to do if he speaks to me one time. But I need that confidence constant touch. I need that constant feedback from heaven that when I call upon the throne of heaven, when I say oh God, heaven picks up. He doesn't stay silent like all these other gods of this world. If you go to Buddha's tomb and you start to pray to Buddha, he's going to sit there and he's going to look at you. If you go to Muhammad's tomb and you begin to pray to Muhammad, he's going to sit there and he's going to look at you. But when you, go to, when you go to the Israel and you find out that that grave is empty and you've seen that the stone is rolled away and you see the sign on the top of the door that says he is not here for he is risen when I begin to pray to the God of heaven I say oh God and God speaks back to me what do you say how does he speak back through his word that he gives me he doesn't speak in a big audible voice he speaks through his word and he speaks through prayer of that individual time when I get alone with God that's when God begins to speak that's when God begins to move in my heart that's when God begins to do things that nobody else can do that's when God begins to do things that I didn't think God could do a lot of times we set limitations on 
on God. We say, God, if you do this, God, if you get this many here, God, if you do this much, why don't we say, God, you go ahead and do what you want to do. Don't let me limit you on what you're able to do because I will serve a God that's abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. God's not limited to what man can do, but we limit God on what we think that God can do sometimes. I don't know how I got there, but that was good. But in the, in the, best, the best has come in the end in his sacrifice. Now I've got two more this morning. I'm done. In the back of the book, the best is still yet to come. I've read the back of the book, and we win. I found out that no matter what happens in this world, the best is still yet to come. I know America looks dark. I know America looks discouraging. I know churches are... There's, there's a sign in California today that's been put on a church in California that says if you walk in this door, you're going to be arrested because you're trespassing. We're not trespassing on God's property. We need to get in on God's property. We've been out on the sidelines too long. It's time we get back to church. It's time we get back to meeting with God. We've sat on the sideline too long, but we've got to take a stand in this day. We've got to take a stand and say, no matter what America says, no matter what the president says... It's not going to be a president. It ain't going to be a Democrat. It ain't going to be a Republican to fix this country. It's going to be the Lamb of God who can change, who can move, who can work, who can do something that man can't do. But it's all possible through God. But if not, if he doesn't send a national revival, the best is still yet to come. Because my Bible tells me, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. One of these days, whether I go by the grave or whether I go by the rapture, I'm going to be going to heaven, and I hope I get to see you there. Because one of these days, I get to see the one that left glory, who died on the cross for my sin. I get to see him face to face, and when we sit down at the marriage, Supper of the Lamb. I don't see how it's going to work. I don't understand it all. But the one who shed his blood, the one who went through the persecution, thank God he's going to gird himself. I don't understand it a whole lot. But Christ himself is going to gird himself and serve me. That the darling son of heaven who went through everything ought to be serving Christ. Ought to be serving him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he's going to say no. Let me serve you, son of Christ. Let me serve you, daughter of the king. He says, I want to serve you. The darling son of heaven is going to serve us. Yeah. And we get to worship him forever and ever. For what he is and for what he's done. I get to see friends and family that's gone on before that I hadn't met. I got a great grandfather who's preached for years who I never got to meet. He's over in heaven waiting on me. He's looking down on me right now. He's watching. He's waiting saying, just hold on. The best is still yet to come. It gets better on the other side. This is not my final resting place. I've got good news. My citizenship is not in America. My citizenship is of another country. It's called Glory Avenue in Heavenly Boulevard. I thank God that I'm going to a better place. The best is still yet to come for me. In salvation, the best is yet to come. Lastly, this morning, I'm done. We say, you're saved. You're on your way to heaven. That's as good as it gets. No, it don't. The best is still yet to come in my salvation. Say, how do you know that? I know as a seven-year-old boy, the Holy Ghost came by my way and showed me I was lost. I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. And he moved and indwelled on the inside of my heart. And he made intercession. He moved on the inside. And he's lived with me for, tw for 
uh, 15 years now. I'll try to do that math quick. So he's been living on the inside of me, and I get to commune with him and speak with him every day. And he say, how does it get better than that? My salvation's going to come full and free. I'm not. I'm 100% saved now, but I'm going to be the same saved as when I get to heaven. My salvation's going to get better. It gets sweeter as the days go by. And when I get to heaven, thank God I get to see the one that saved me by his grace and by his mercy. Say, well... What would you say all that for? The best is yet to come. This is not your best life now. It's going to get better. No matter what happens in November, the best is yet to come. No matter what happens in America, no matter what happens in 10 years from now, it's going to get better. The best is still yet to come, friend. We've got a better place to look forward to. I can, I can rejoice this morning, not in what Congress tells me, not of what the White House tells me, not of what my money tells me or what the, my job tells me, but I can rejoice in what God tells me because that's the only thing I can count on. I can't count on government. I can't count on schools. I can't count on anything. The only thing I can count on is God's word and what God tells me in his word, and he is faithful because he's never broke a promise. There's over a thousand promises in this Bible. He's not broke a single one, and he's not going to either. He said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said, I'm going. He went, and he sent the Holy Ghost to intercede while he's gone. But one of these days, he said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm coming back. And like I said in John 20, verse 7, it says that the napkin was folded in a place by itself. Well, you say, what does that mean? The old Jewish culture knew, the Jewish servant boy, he knew that it, when the king was sitting at the table, and he was eating, and the king would get up, and he would go use the facilities or go do whatever he was doing. And he would just throw the napkin down any certain way that the that the uh, the servant could come by and he could take that plate because he knew that the king was done. But if the king got up from that table and he went and he folded that napkin a particular way, the way that that servant boy would know, he would sit that napkin in a place by itself and he would sit it there. And when that servant walked by the table, he would look and he would see that napkin. He says, I can't touch this plate. I can't take it because the king's coming back. I've got good news. He left a sign in the grave that he said, not only am I alive, but I am coming back for you. And he's coming back for the church to take his church home and I'm glad that one of these days my best is still yet to come and I thank God for that this morning because my best is still yet to come brother Josh I appreciate that